family first moved to Winnipeg, I worked for a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I didn't just supervise the work that that ministry did here in Manitoba, I was part of a national <coughs> leadership team. So every few months, um, we would have a gathering of the client and the team would together, and, and we would fly to the uh, so-called center of the universe. Where is that? Toronto. Toronto. Uh, locals call it Toronto. We'd fly to Toronto uh, for, you know, three or four days of meetings. Now, my friend Andy and I used to share a room there. Andy uh, worked in BC, I worked in Manitoba, and because we both had young families, we would try to maximize the amount of time spent at home and minimize the time spent on business travel. And if any of you have done much business travel, you realize it loses its glamour quickly. So we were trying to minimize our time. So I would catch a 5 a.m. flight out of Winnipeg Monday morning. Andy would catch a red eye, like an overnight flight from Vancouver and fly overnight, and we would be there, and our bodies would be there in the boardroom on Monday. And our minds and spirits were sort of catching up eventually. And we, we used to share a, a room together. We would room together. We became friends that way. And he was a Brit, and uh, he um, was a soccer fan. Apparently, they call it football. Outside of North America, they call this, they play with this round thing, black and white ball. And they call it football for some reason. Anyway, we would talk about footy. And, uh, but the problem was, um, he would stay up late because he was in a different time zone. And we found that we were both in, <coughs> our bodies were there, but we were in different time zones. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you're, your body's somewhere, but you're, everything else is in a different time zone. It's a little bit similar to the problem Jesus faced with the Pharisees in the New Testament. We're going through the Gospel of John and explaining to people that um, how Jesus seemed to be out, out, so out of sync with his own people. Remember uh, in John chapter 1 it said he came to his own, he came to his own people and they didn't even receive him. They didn't get what he was about. So they were in the same location but they definitely weren't in the same time zone, if you know what I mean. They, they weren't on the same page. And this morning, we're going to read a story from John chapter 5, the next of the signs that Jesus, that, that Jesus used to demonstrate that he was who he said he was, the Son of God, God himself. And just examine how out of sync Jesus was with the religious leaders of the day. So the story starts like this. John, I'm pressing buttons, but I'm not seeing anything. How are you doing? Okay, while we wait for that to come up the screen, let me, uh, I'll read you the passage, okay? Let's go old school. Just, I don't know how the Apostle Paul made it with the PowerPoint. Somehow we did. So this is John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We're not sure if it was Pentecost or Passover. It, the, the scripture is clear. 
but he went up for one of the Jewish festivals, so there were a lot of people in the city. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to line, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, been there for a long time. Sorry, I just lost my place here. Jesus online there learned he had been there and has finished for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Now, let's just pause here for a minute. This pool that we're talking about, the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda, by the way, it means place of grace or place of healing. There's a Bethesda church in Winnipeg. Do you know where it is on Grant? It actually has its roots in this church. That's another story that we won't get into today. Anyway, this place, this pool, had a reputation and a history of being a place where people would get healed. It predates even the, the Jewish history of that area. And, and pagans would come and heal it. They, there was something amazing about that, that body of water and uh, Jewish people in the same tradition, every once in a while something would agitate the water and they feel like that was a time to hop in and, and be healed. That's what this man was complaining about. He had been there for a long time, obviously. How long had he been there? How long had he been ill? 38 years. And not 38 days. Not 38 months. 38 years. Okay. This is his story saying. And his problem is, uh, Jesus said, do you want to get well? And the man says, sir, there, I have no one to help me into the pool while the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else gets ahead of me. Jesus says, oh, I'll get to that point in a minute. Let's back up to this strange question. Jesus was full of strange questions and unusual comments. Here's a man who's an invalid. He's paralyzed. Whatever exact medical condition is, we're not certain. But he can't move. He can't move around by himself. And it's been that way for 38 years. Why does Jesus come along and say, Hi, do you want to be well? I I'm sorry, but that, on the surface, that appears to be an absolutely stupid question. That's how I would feel. If I had been sick for 38 years, some guy comes along and says, hey, do you want to be well? What's with that? But let's get into this. Let's, let's just stop here for a minute and, and examine it. What was Jesus all about? Because as usual, he had a purpose behind these questions. He had something that he was trying to uh, get at. I mean, outwardly, it seems like such an insensitive and ignorant thing. And if you had a long-term condition or struggled with an illness or an addiction or something that you're, is dragging you down and you're trying to deal with it and trying to move ahead, we could probably spend the rest of the day listing off all the unhelpful comments that people make. Whether they're well-intentioned or not, they're unhelpful comments. 
Why don't you just quit? Uh, yeah. Trying to. Yeah. Why don't you just uh, walk on the sunny side of the street? Look at the bright side of life. Well, that's true. That's helpful. But if depression's got you in its grip and is dragging you down below the surface and you feel like you can't breathe, just looking on the sunny side of life isn't really helpful. And in some contexts, can even feel condemning. Or if you're grieving the loss of someone dear to you. Oh, it's been a few months now. Why don't you just get over it? scriptures with 
focusing healing and how God moves. But there's some principles that we can learn here. This man felt stuck. Maybe legitimate, but the bottom line was it was keeping him almost more in prison than his physical disability. Well, what's interesting, Jesus makes a positive example. He makes an example of this man. Jesus wants to demonstrate a point. So he doesn't choose someone who's just been, you know, laid up for a few weeks or maybe a few years. He comes along and finds someone who's been there for 38 years. People probably walk by this guy just like he's part of the scenery, right? Sort of like you walk, we, it's easy for us to walk by people downtown um, asking for money or, or whatever, or in a similar situation. They're just part of the scenery. We don't pay attention to them. We feel a little bit awkward. We don't know how to interact with them. We might feel slightly guilty. We just feel uncomfortable. We keep moving. But we don't treat them as real people. Jesus stopped and recognized this man. Son is a real person with real needs. And this man basically was grumbling. Maybe legitimately so, but he was still grumbling. And how does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? And say, well, suck it up, buddy. Pull up your socks. Look at the bright side of life. What does he do? Get up. Take up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The get up language in the original Greek is the same word that's used. Um, it's resurrection language. It basically means rise up. This is resurrection language Jesus is using. And I think he uses this man as a demonstration of the resurrection power, the new creation power that God is breaking in to planet Earth. Remember that Jesus was there before the beginning began, right? He, Jesus was there before the beginning of the world even began. And he made the world. So obviously, he has this resurrection power resting on him because of his communion, his relationship with his Father. Even though he was a human being, he gave access, he had, he had the power of God flowing through him. So in that authority, he said, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The Lord forbids you to carry your mat. The, the Taliban, the religious police of the day, pounced on this guy. And I was thinking of the story, were the, were the Pharisees working by enforcing rules on the Sabbath? It just makes me wonder. Were there, I don't know, maybe they thought it was, obviously they thought it was their responsibility to God. They needed to give God a hand so they would make sure that the people were following the rules correctly, right? Generally, keeping the Sabbath is a good idea because we need a break. We're wise that we need it. We take a break every seven days and just catch our breath and reconnect with the Creator and then we go on to the next week. But the problem with the Pharisees is that they had reduced this good thing, this gift from God, and turned it into a burden. So here's a man who's been sick and an invalid for how long? Not 38 days, 38 months, but 38 years. 
Maybe even before some of these Pharisees were even born, or even got on the job. Oh yeah, that's so-and-so, he's been there for, oh, I can't remember, he's been there, he's just part of the scenery, he's been there for so long. All of a sudden, he's walking around and carrying his mouth. And what is the first thing these people say to the healed man? <laughs> You're breaking the rules. What are you doing? Carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Any normal person would say, what happened to you? What's going on? Praise God. No, they're pouncing on this man for breaking the rules. <laughs> the, the fellow has been cured. We'll see this a little bit later in the story. He's Still not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But he has enough wherewithal to say, well, the man who made me well, doesn't know his name, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no, did not have a hot clue who it was. He had no idea. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and was dead. He taught, has a conversation with this guy. He says, all right, get up, pick up your mat, walk. And he was able to do that. And he's tottering around with his mat, probably wondering, what, what's going on? Jesus disappears. Later, Jesus finds him at the temple and said to him, hey, you're well again. Awesome. Now, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So this fellow wasn't particularly grateful. He didn't learn Jesus' name. He didn't really have faith to ask for healing. He, he didn't learn Jesus' name. Um, he didn't thank him. He had enough wherewithal to actually go to the temple and worship and thank God. So he gets some kind of credit for that. But he's still kind of clued out. And Jesus warns him, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now some people read into this and say, aha, this man was sick because he had sinned. I can't really draw that, but that may be possible. Anytime people directly link sickness with sin, your caution light should go on. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But your compromise should go on. Why? Because sometimes illness is directly related to sin. If you hold a grudge that affects you physically, you can make yourself sick. If you're full of fear and anxiety, that can make you ill. Obviously, if you abuse some things, if you, uh, you know, you're standing in front of the refrigerator saying, Lord, Help me escape temptation after I finish the last of the pie. You know, you're going to make yourself ill, right? That's not facilitating health. So sometimes our illnesses are directly related to sin, but sometimes stuff just happens. We can't explain it. It's part of living in a fallen, broken world. That may not be much solace for those of us who are struggling with things, but that's way it is. But to directly say your sickness is a result of sin is very dangerous because only God has a great picture. 
I think what Jesus is trying to warn this man is of the coming judgment. He says, okay, stop sinning. You've blown it a couple of times already since you've been healed. You know, you haven't been, you haven't been grateful. It's good that you're in, in the temple, presumably worshiping God, and you've been able to get there on his own for a long time. But he didn't have a really good attitude. He kind of ratted out Jesus to the authorities. So Jesus is warning him, something worse may happen to you. Now what can be worse than a physical, serious physical illness to someone? Ultimately, God's judgment. And that's what Jesus is warning him. Buddy, God's intervened in your life. Wake up, smell the coffee, and get right with God. Recognize who I am, not some random street preacher. I'm the Son of God. I demonstrated that on the Sabbath. Wake up, get right with God, or else you'll face the consequences later on, and they will not be pleasant. So I think that's what Jesus is saying in the context of this story. Because we know later on in chapter 5, he talks a lot about, John talks a lot about judgment coming and Jesus judging the world. So the man goes away, tells the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus actually made him well. Now Jesus gets into trouble with the Pharisees again. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, only he was breaking, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This really, really set them off. Not only had he broken the Sabbath by healing someone, what a hard-hearted bunch. What a hard-hearted bunch. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if someone being in our congregation, all of a sudden being able to walk, they've been, you know, they've been challenged for years and years, all of a sudden they're able to walk, and we rag on them because they're not dressed properly, according to whatever invisible dress code we have here. Can you imagine that? That's kind of the equivalent of what the Pharisees were saying. What a hard-hearted bunch. They were so concerned about keeping the good rules that God has made, they made a burden out of them. And they had built their whole relationship with God on some kind of external performance. They missed the whole point. So they gave Jesus grief about that. And what really set them off is that when he said, well, my father, my father, my heavenly father, he's always working on the Sabbath. He's always sustaining the earth. He doesn't, you know, I'm glad God does not take a day off. Now the Bible says God rested on the Sabbath to teach us that we need to rest on the Sabbath too. To save us from the negative effects of workaholism and anxiety and lack of trust in Him. But really, God doesn't take a day off. He doesn't need it. He keeps making sure that the earth is spinning in its orbit. And, you know, you don't generally notice disasters happening anymore on Sunday than on Tuesday. God doesn't take a day off. 
And when Jesus says, my father is always working and I'm always doing his work, the Pharisees recognized this language that basically Jesus was saying, I and the Father are one. And that made them blow a gasket. They were already seriously irritated. Now they're thinking murderous thoughts. We have to take care of this guy. And in fact, taking care of this guy means taking him out. So they start plotting how they're going to kill him. And that's basically what happens when Jesus butts up against religion man-made religion of any kind. Whether it's other religions or people who say they follow Jesus and are stuck in religious rules, that's what happens. Because Jesus, being full of grace and truth, will come and challenge us in our performance-based religion. We think, you know, because we're here at a certain place, at a time and looking a certain way and acting a certain way and if, and if we put all our faith on our performance as far as meeting Jesus requirements for life for being in his family if we base all of our faith on our performance whether we're consciously or unconsciously doing it then we're in trouble understand what I'm saying? then we're in trouble a wise person, a wise person, recognizes that Jesus is full of grace and truth. That's the essence of gospel, right? Jesus forgiving sinners, Jesus telling us the truth about ourselves, but he doesn't leave us there just kind of desolated. He gives us hope to change. So once we have an accurate view of ourselves, the way God sees us, we see the truth about ourselves, then we experience God's grace to say, yeah, you're a mess, but I love you. Let's change. I'm going to make you a new person. I'm going to help you follow me. I will give you even the desire to follow me. And we start moving on and following Jesus. That's the gospel. And if you get enough people gathering around that need for Jesus, that sense like, yeah, hi, my name's Rick, I'm the sinner, welcome to the club, isn't Jesus awesome, he's changing us. Then all of a sudden you got what the Bible calls an ecclesia, uh, a gathering of called out ones. Uh, we call it a church. And that church develops a gospel culture where grace and truth just permeate the whole place. So we stop looking at each other, looking at each other with a hairy eyeball, stop judging each other based on our appearance or behavior or whatever. We, we start intentionally loving each other and moving uh, in grace and truth toward each other, wanting to work out our little differences before they become big issues. That's one of the traits of a gospel culture in a group of people, a place where anyone can come and feel welcome intentionally loved in an appropriate kind way, that kind of thing goes on. That's a gospel culture. That's what Jesus came to establish on planet Earth. And that's why he healed this man by the pool of Bethesda who's trying to demonstrate God's grace and truth. He did it deliberately on the Sabbath. I think he did it. Maybe he could have waited, he could have waited another day. I mean, this fellow had been there for 38 years. I mean, what's the rush? Right? What's another day? Jesus deliberately did it on the Sabbath to say, hey, 
This is God. It's all about God's grace and truth and kindness. It's not about religious performance. So he butted right up against the religious establishment of the day. Why? Because human beings are so stuck in their ways. We are so prideful. We are so independent. We want to demonstrate that we really don't need Jesus. We can do it on our own. Well, that's a fallacy, isn't it? That's a lie. We need Him. We need His grace and truth operating in our lives and changing us from the inside out. And that's the point of the story. Let's pray. Father, there are some of us here who aren't sure if we want to be well or not. And it's not that we're unwilling, we're just, we just feel stuck. And Lord, I pray for those of us who feel stuck today, like this man felt stuck in this story. And for those of us who are still struggling with basing our acceptance from you on what we do, I pray that you set us free from the bondage of legalism and religious performance. Help us to live lives filled with grace and truth so we can really know you and so you can change us from the inside out. We submit ourselves to you. And we pray that you heal us and restore us to the fullness that you desire for us.